0: everybody and welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we examine the adventures of Marvel's mutants and more week after week through their many vaunted titles. I'm Nico and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And guys, today we have an awesome show for you. Not only are we going to be taking a look at Excalibur number 20, which saw more characterization and development put into a character created before I was born than I have seen in my lifetime. Amazing work, Teeny Howard. But we're going to kick things off with an interview featuring Jed McKay. Now, Jed's name might be familiar to you if you've read the recent Black Cat series, or maybe you know him from Weapon Plus, which we covered several weeks ago. Maybe you're a Magic the Gathering fan and you picked up that number one. However, everyone's going to be seeing his name very soon, as Marvel recently announced him to be the writer on the upcoming Moon Knight series, which is going to be launching close to the time of the TV show on Disney Plus. So this is a big time for Jed. Now, while Jonah and I are big fans, none of us are a bigger fan than Rod, who worked so hard to make this interview happen for us, and you can hear the excitement the three of us share in talking to a writer we not only enjoy the work of and respect, but clearly a writer who has our same ideals and sensibilities when it comes to why inclusivity, diversity, and characterization are such important elements of storytelling. Whether you're a fan of his because he knows how to write The Black Cat, The Man Without Fear, or Planeswalkers better than anybody, we hope you enjoy this next segment as much as we enjoyed making it. Hello, everyone, and thank
1: you for coming to the next segment of X's for Podcasts. I am Rod. You can find me at Twitter and Instagram at Rod, The. And today we have with us the incredible Nico. Hey, everybody. I'm Nico.
0: You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N.
2: And I'm Jonah. And you follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. And we hope you survive this experience. <laughs>
1: Yes, I hope we survive with our next special guest today, y'all. We have the new to Marvel Comics for the most part. He is making very big waves in the comic (laughs) industry now. Um, Our amazing special guest, Jed McKay.
3: Hey, how's it going?
1: Hi. So you have been off and on in Marvel Comics for a few years, but now you're like stretching your legs, getting ongoing stories. And I mean, making a big waves because you have Black Cat right now. It's been number one in the top 10 for for a while.
3: Yeah, on and off is kind of the best way to describe it where like my first first Marvel job was like ten years ago. But over eight of those ten years I think we did about sixteen pages. So uh, <laughs> the last last few years have been very kind to me, but that's uh it didn't all sort of come just at once, yeah.
0: And I actually wanna thank you in a funny weird way. I had taken I taken a huge break from comics and you can know you always you can kinda like demark your eras that you took away from comics by certain runs. Oh yeah absolutely. sometimes. I can absolutely say I jumped out of Marvel comics at the end of Mark Wade Daredevil and nothing against anybody who wrote it in the interim I sort of magically jumped back in at the end of a run and I was like what is this there's going to be a Daredevil series coming out that I can start with a number one and so you were actually one of the things that welcomed me back to Marvel. Oh nice with Man Without Fear? Yeah absolutely your uh, first that five issue miniseries that first Daredevil book I bought back when I returned to Marvel was your Daredevil Man Without Fear 1. Oh wow. That's actually
1: what I first got from you too, Jed, was uh, Man Without Fear, because I didn't, I mean, I didn't know who we were at first. I was just now starting getting the to Daredevil 2 because I read the last run end of it. I've never been a huge Daredevil fan, but I was coming off the TV show and like, oh, okay, let me read some more of this. And Man of Fear really got me. I really loved how you wrote all the characters, you put the defenders in there. Like I loved every second of it. And then I was like, who is this writer? And then I looked it up, and you all were also writing Daughters of Dragon.
3: Yeah, Man Without Fear was basically my second series for our- Marvel. Yeah, picking up that book and not knowing who I was, that was fine. No one else did either. Because as it turned out, no one read Daughters of the Dragon. I
1: recommend it to literally every single person that I can find that reads superhero comics or this needs, a like, this another comic to read. Because I absolutely love the series. I wanted to keep going. Oh, I wish you. it did. Yeah, me too. But, uh,
3: <laughs> but yeah, no, M- Mammoth of Fear was, it was a real interesting sort of job. Because basically, up until that point, my philosophy with Marvel was like, well, I've got a job now, but this will probably be the last one I get. So uh, I'll just kind of go all out and, you know, do whatever I do what I want to do, and that way I'll be happy with it. So I did, did Daughters, which came out of uh, Spider-Geddon, or a uh, work I did for Spider-Geddon, and uh, I was like, well, I haven't heard it for a while, so that's probably, you know, the end of the line, I had a good run, whatever. And then, uh, yeah, Devin emailed and said, you want to do this uh, Daredevil series? I was like, sure, you know, we get Daredevil, get up to do adventures and shenanigans. He's like, no, actually, the, the whole thing takes place in a hospital. I like, I issues mean, in a hospital? Shit, alright.
0: I I <laughs> Nothing's more fun than a bottle episode when it's crafted with the integrity of knowing these characters eventually need to get out. Exactly. And that was one of the things that definitely made your Daredevil miniseries feel like a homecoming for me. That like it had the emotional pulpy honesty of a proper Daredevil comic, which, you know, is such a necessary element of the characters and how they interplay with one another. Because I mean it's series essentially about relationships. Oh, totally. And I thought you really felt that. Oh,
3: thank you. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a real kind of shift of gears for me. You know, coming off Daughters, which was, you know, it was about relationships, uh, you know, specifically friendships and stuff like that. But it was a lot bouncier and you know, there was a lot of excitement and fun. And then Daredevil was just like, grim as shit. So uh, <laughs> it took a bit to sort of switch gears on that one, but I was really happy with it when uh, all was said and done.
1: Uh, it definitely turned out well. It does bring me to like the first question, the first official question I do want to ask you, because as <laughs> we know so far, you know, you've written Daughters of the Dragon, Man uh, Without Fear, black cat very successfully i loved your taskmaster as well i haven't read all of your spider-man people but you've written a lot of spider-man <laughs> yeah,
3: it's uh, it's kind of spread out all over the place there my spider-man stuff nick sort of had me as his uh, kind of spider-getting guy he would go to whenever I need to get like you know three pages here done or like eight pages here done i definitely noticed that
1: and now you're going to be writing one i feel like an even bigger title which is moon Knight, which is yeah. going to come out i believe in july but all of these heroes are such great street level heroes Is it just coincidence that you keep getting all these street level heroes, or are you like requesting these and it's drawing to you?
3: It's just the stuff that's coming up, really. Like, I mean, I feel like my heart's always kind of with the street level characters. Uh, Part of it is just that it's a lot easier to come up with credible threats for them. Like when I did Avengers Next Strike, it was a real sort of, again, another gear shift where I'm used to having your threat be like a bad guy with like a gun and maybe some superpowers. And now I got like whole Avengers. I got to figure out how to threat. Part of it is kind of becomes a self-filling prophecy where if you do, you know, a a good job on a street level character and you know, people notice it and they like it, then when another street level character comes up, that's who they might think of, you know, it's the same as if I was doing cosmic stuff or team stuff or something like that.
0: I want to just say like one of my favorite things about that is I stepped into Black Cat not realizing you'd be writing it but I heard one word I heard the word patch and I had to read it I was done yeah and I feel like one of the most exciting things about your Black Cat is that it is a definitive take on Felicia she's been such a hard character to nail down because she is one of the most earnestly kindly sweet sort of cheesecake characters but she's been grown into this incredibly powerful dynamic character over the years and she was sort of at like a really interesting apex She's been You know, so criminally and such a good guy. And stepping into your black cat was a fresh head. It sort of took all of the different masks that Felicia wore and it managed to make them fit. Yeah. And that's like, that's kind of by design where Felicia's never had
3: her own ongoing. Like, she's had a couple minis, a lot of guest appearances. But I really was interested in the opportunity to try and create, you know, a a unified theory of Felicia Hart. Put all the pieces together to say, you know, this is a perennial guest character. Here's what she looks like on her own. You know, she's not Spider Man's gal pal. She's not somebody's sidekick or somebody's enemy. She, well, I mean, she's her own worst enemy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, just say like this is this is a character who has value, and who is interesting, and exciting on her own without be, you know without being an ancillary character to anybody else. And Here's what I think that could look like.
2: Felicia Hardy is one of my favorite non X characters, and I found we were covering some issues of Spider Man that happened to intersect with a couple of issues of X Men, and when I saw that she was in the next issue from what we read, I was like. oh, oh, who's this black cat character? And I was really drawn to learning more about her in this interesting approach to being a love interest of Spider-Man where she didn't care about Peter Parker. She was only interested in the actual figure of Spider-Man. And I thought that was such an interesting take to love one, like love an identity of someone but not love them as a whole. And reading more about the relationship made me fall more and more in love with them. So seeing her be able to be in the spotlight and be able to be her own character for me is really special and amazing. Is, for Felicia specifically, Is there anything in particular that you love writing about her that you might be able to write about with another character?
3: I think it's just sort of her entire outlook on life, where she's got she has a voice that we've sort of been developing as time goes on. That is, it's you know idiosyncratic in a lot of ways. It's uh, it's just very much specific to her that I really enjoy working with. You know, she, she gets herself in bad situations. She gets herself out of bad situations. She looks good doing it. Uh, it's it's just all, everything about the character I've come to really. Uh, Appreciate and enjoy and you know, treasure. So that's, you know, that's what's going to make it tough. It's my first ongoing series. At some point, it will be canceled, you know, someday. That's just <laughs> the way it works for ongoing my, series. And that's going to break my heart whenever that happens.
1: I will not, no, it will not end.
3: Um, <laughs> not in our hearts. Hey, not
0: in our, no. I'm looking for a George Perez Titans kind of deal here. <laughs> To move her into the retirement village otherwise it just doesn't feel <laughs> right. I mean I will definitely
1: say I might like I like to say I might be a little biased but I mean I tell literally everybody I mean I feel like I tweet at you too much talking about that uh, black cat Jed McKay I just because I, I it's one of my favorite <laughs> series is right now I I feel like I got more into her when I was reading the Defenders run of Brian Michael Bendis and right. you know he was like a kingpin and all of that and then she got out of it and I was like oh you know they're going a different direction for her I like it and then I heard you were writing it and I'm like I loved Your Daughter's Dragon so I'll try it out and because of the way you've written her like you've made her canonly bisexual you've gotten more characters of color in it like Queen of Cat and it's just I really enjoy how you have developed this character and kind of like their own thing and out of a Spider-Man shadow so I really appreciate that
3: yeah well thank you That's and again that's that was kind of the purpose you know it's not it, you see a lot of characters who are developed just as love interests not just as, as love interests or uh, you know ancillary roles really coming into their own and I feel like she's been long overdue for that. Like, there's no reason that she can't have her own thing. Like, you know, uh, you know, Lois Lane is a character who's very much her own thing now. Like, Catwoman is very much her own. I, mean, I actually, you know, maybe maybe bringing up Catwoman is a little too on the nose. I a black cat, but you, you know, what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> a little on the nose. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, like it's. I, I don't think there's any reason why this character can't stand on her own. I feel like that this series seems to be connecting to a lot of people. I mean, obviously not everybody it but uh, a lot of people seem to enjoy it and I think that- Proves that you can take these characters and give them their own own uh, time in the spotlight.
0: And speaking of doing that with characters, I'm really intrigued by the prospect of your writing Moon Knight during the age of sort of the D plus Moon Knight happenings. Hmm. Because when Marvel says, "Okay, we're going to start putting effort behind this character," you sort of start to see it happen here and there. Where we saw the Moon Knight arc in Aaron's Avengers around the same time that we heard the announcement that Moon Knight was coming to D plus. And now we hear there's a Moon Knight series coming. And that's pretty significant positioning that Marvel is saying, we want you guys to buy into this character. And, you know, I think the most significant, successful Moon Knight of the last 15, 20 years was probably the Moon Knight by Bendis and Maliv, reteaming the Daredevil team. Uh, that's bizarre. And <laughs> reteaming the Daredevil team, where unfortunately we saw Echo uh, see her demise at the hands of Count Nefaria before ultimately returning. You know, Moon Knight is this character that's kind of hard to pin down, but God. Damn! Does that Sinkevich shadow like into the into the eighties night? Right, that perfect cape. Oh, yeah. What is it about Moon Knight that has you the most excited to write? And is there some part of Moon Knight that you really want to connect? With? Well, it's actually interesting you said that the uh, Bendis
3: one is you know the most influential and successful because everyone gives has a different answer for what is the most influential and successful uh, Moon Knight series. Uh, you know, I, I've I've seen people say you know the Jeff Lemire Greg Smallwood one is uh, you know has landed best of all the Moon Knight series or you know. One
0: Declan drew or whatever. And I'm I'm a bigger fan of the one Declan drew myself. That's yeah, I, I agree. I just think that the Bendis one is better known, but you totally nailed like all of yeah. my favorites but in a sense I mean, That's to say, like he's
3: it's he's a really interesting character because he's had so many really good, really iconic runs with top with some real top tier uh talent, you know, then I come along. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> he's a character that's got so many facets. Really strange me, they don't always have a moon night book. All the writers I know are like shit, man, I wish I got that one. Artists are like shit, oh, man, I wish I got that one so uh, it's just it's it's really exciting it's like uh, it's like being a kid in the playground it's the toy everybody wants you know but um,
0: I'm so stoked
3: yeah it's basically we're kind of taking a different tack on Moon Knight he's he's after the age of Khonshu he really fucked up and now he's just trying to see who he is in uh, in the wake of so, you know, he's, he's back on the streets, he's solving problems for people. He's Mr. of Khonshu, but he's not answering to Khonshu. Khonshu's, you know, in prison in Asgard. So we're going to see, you know, what, what is Moon Knight made out of? What is, who is Mark Spector? You. how does moon night work and you know what is going on in his head oh, that
1: sounds completely amazing i feel like i'm not a big um reader on moon night i need to not like nico i need to go and read past issues or past arcs um but i feel like this is probably going to be one of my favorite characters now because you're writing it so <laughs> let me just prepare myself and read the past so i know um because this brings me honestly to my next question which is uh, sure. my fiance wanted me to ask um hello Tongo. So, Yeah, Chongo. Oh, you remembered. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you you, you the, guys yeah.
3: tweet at me all the time. Of course, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know we like to we like to uh, praise and bug you. I hope you don't mind. Oh um, um, no! no. <laughs> so
0: he he Dan, uh, your face.
1: <laughs> he asked based on the stories you've written, you seem very skilled at keeping up with continuity. Do you feel like trying to stay in continuity binds you or helps you write the story
3: better? Uh, I think continuity. Here's the thing: like, a lot of people say continuity is a chain, continuity is a prison. I think continuity is only a prison as much as you let it be, um, which I guess is just kind of a, a flip answer to that. I think there's more. Or to be gained from paying attention to continuity than, it, than causes problems because honestly if something sucks you can just ignore it and you know? just don't don't bring it up uh you know and that's that's fine you pick what you like bring it in it's interesting if you don't like it just don't mention it just ignore it because honestly if it's that bad most other people can be glad that it's not there you know uh, anymore
1: I that's the perfect answer for me honestly
3: <laughs> I like I, yeah, I like to do I think... a lot of like I do a lot of diving in the uh Marvel Fandom Wiki because it's just a fantastic resource for finding out about stuff that I just don't know so for instance uh, Black Hat 2 and 3 when they went to Doctor Strange's place I was like okay well I know they need a magician to help them break in so I just went on the Marvel Fandom Wiki click tab magicians and basically spent an hour uh, making my eyes bleed as I just scrolled through every magician that's ever appeared in any Marvel comic
0: no shit Scotty Young does the exact same thing for Strange Academy we had him on like three weeks ago and he does the exact same I mean, we same. all do
3: like so eventually <laughs> of course the guy I eventually used was Xander the Merciless so it was all the way down at X so uh, I had a, a real long time on that but yeah like it's it's fun to find some old stuff dust it off and then put it to use I could have just made up a new magician but it doesn't make the comic in the world feel as lived in as when you can you know, dig up something old and maybe give them a second lease on life
2: I personally love that I think it's almost in a way a very comical way to bring up characters who you've maybe seen in one or two issues and be like, they're still here. They might have just been doing stuff in the background, but they're around. And speaking of continuity, as someone who doesn't have a lot of Moon Knight experience, my own real experience is I don't even. It, there's a panel of Moonlight that goes around as a meme of him calling Dracula a nerd. And I think it's hysterical. And <laughs> <laughs> for me to ask of this new upcoming series, do you have any recommendations for someone who doesn't have as much Moon Knight experience to get to know the character
3: more? Uh, as far as getting into our series, there's not really a whole lot you need to know outside of the basics. you know. We, there's no. Number one is purposely uh, meant to be a good jumping on point for people who aren't familiar with it. So, kind of lay out who he is, what his deal is, and what his deal is now. Um, but yeah, as far as that, like, just you can go all the way back to uh, you know, Sinkovich days, or you could just look at some more modern runs. It's really up to you. Uh, it just depends on how far you want to get into it. Because again, all these different takes, these different series, tend to be fairly radically different character. So, whatever you're looking for, you should probably be able to.
0: Now, I have to ask a question that, if I don't ask, I know several very angry nerds who all will beat right. me. Up. And when I casually mentioned to people, oh, I have an interview this weekend for the show, and they're like, oh, we interviewing, and I was like, oh, Jed McKay. I mean, I saw like people's eyes turn to diamonds because a lot of my friends play Magic: mm-hmm. The Gathering, and you had kind of a big week for Magic: yeah. The Gathering. Uh, and I have been given a list of questions from everyone I know, and I've had to kind of whittle it down to the core four, and even uh, from there, that's what we're here for. Here's the main the main question I have for you from all of my Magic friends is. What is your Magic the Gathering background and what elements of magic do you hope to see continue through the series? What are like the core things about the canon you love? Well,
3: my background started way back in 1990. Uh, it was whenever Ice Age and 4th edition was out. That's when I started playing. I would have been in like.
0: I was in the bouts. So uh, I feel like it had to be like 96. But I am so yeah, we played.
3: So my friends and I, we played Magic from about Ice Age to, I think, just past Prophecy, which would have been like 2000. I think. So I think I basically quit when I went to university because I had other uh, to deal with but uh, so that was my magic base and you know, I've still got all my old cards I was uh, showing them off on Twitter a few weeks ago magic number one uh, and then basically I had to revisit the game after I got the job to write the comic and I was like oh this would be no problem you know, it's oh so, well how many expansions could have come out in 20 years turns out it's a lot um, <laughs> so I was uh, spending a lot of time on magic fandom Week, uh, just getting caught up you know a friend of mine who used to play in high school he's really kept up with it so he was a, an invaluable resource. Resource to help me figure out what's going on because I was trying to get caught up, but also trying to get a pitch together as soon as possible to get this show on the road. This is the middle of COVID, and my Marvel stuff going, so I need to be paid. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of where it is. Uh, I knew it from my youth. Uh, it Turns out a lot has changed since then. Oh, yes. uh, yeah. So, so what was the, the the core? What core elements do I hope to eat The second part of the question.
0: Yeah, like what's the stuff for magic that most like defines your like you know your view of this year?
3: Um, I think what I would say is is just that the world magic is so big. Like it's not just the world; it's the world's. uh like, it's the entire multiverse. And we want to, we want to, like, look back to the past and all the future. But we also basically just want to make sure that it's never boring. We want to have exciting and interesting things that you can look at and characters to interact with. Because with that much stuff, there's really no excuse for something that is just kind of mundane. Like, I told, told the story on a Twitch stream a while back. Yeah, issue number one, it starts off uh, in rapid. We have, you know, Niv Mezzet flying through. But when I, was, before I first drafted that, it wasn't Niv Mezzet, it was a bird. And I was writing it, and I kind of looked back, I'm like, what, what am I doing? Like, why, why would I just have a bird when I can have a robot dragon instead? you know <laughs> so that's that's where i'm coming from with that saying there's so much stuff in, you know in this property that want to bring as much of it in as we can i love
1: that i i've never personally gotten to magic i used to play uh, pokemon tcg and i saw people right. playing magic and i was like that's too intense it's too many rules <laughs> the co- some of the cards cost uh twelve hundred thousand dollars i can't do that
0: um so but fair enough <laughs> that was my relationship seeing people play you know when i worked at a comic book shop i was like that's scary <laughs> i'm right and then I got really into it for a hot minute. And I'm like, oh, man, I, I could live in this. And I, I see how it can be super, like, so big and super, so all encompassing. Oh, yeah. yeah
3: it's, it's really funny when I was going through my cards and, you know, I had saw my, my main deck that I would have been assembling over the course of the six years I was playing, Hensley. and it's like, shit, man, some of these cards are actually worth some bucks, especially because, you know, I bought them at 250 a pop. And now they're like, oh, because it's 75 bucks a piece or something. It's like, holy shit. All right. Here we go. Yeah. It, eBay. It's, oh, okay. it's always so funny seeing, especially trading cards, like
2: the value of older cards. I got into Magic, uh, there was a, a period of time when I went to summer camp and a yeah. lot of my friends started playing. I was like, I've never played this. I've never played an actual card game because like, when I was really young, I would pretend to play like the Pokemon TCG and like the right. U.N.O., but like not actually play. Uh, personally, my favorite color was always play uh, always play was blue. I just love, <laughs> I, I just love like countering everything that anybody tried to do and just like making them use so many resources to try to break through and i I said personally like, that's what your favorite color was but if it's blue, I'm right there with you
3: with the Kindred Spirit. Yeah, like, <laughs> It's my my old deck that it was basically the most obnoxious thing to play against. Um, it, I'm very lucky I didn't lose the friend that uh, I played Magic with because I was like, even if I would lose, you're still not going to have a good time. <laughs> oh
0: no, no! Yep, yep. My deck was all instants and stuff. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> I stopped. Yep. What are there
1: blue? I don't I don't know Magic, but I read the first issue and I loved it because I love like witchy spellcaster shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I'm all into it. So I have it on my pull list oh, now. You. But yeah, I loved it. It's I can't wait to the next issue. Um, but are there blue characters in the... What, who are the blue cards in your magic story right now?
3: <laughs> so, basically, there's there's five colors of magic, each which represent... Uh, pre- like, in the old days, it's kind of representing... Well now, it's more representing philosophies or, like, type personality. So, uh, Jace, for instance, the guy who got his uh, brain fried first issue, is uh, a blue character who uses things like psych powers. Ah, uh, uh, okay. Stuff. Whereas, uh, Raul Ra- Ra- is a blue-red character, because he's like a mad scientist, uh, similar Kaya is black white because she's uh, does a lot of undead stuff, but also is you know very lawful and has uh, a certain code she follows. Uh, Raska is black green because she's ruthless, but also committed to you know death and rebirth stuff like that. So
0: I'm gonna cool. cut this up and make that a. If you want to understand <laughs> magic, just hit play. But, uh,
3: but yeah, it's I mean obviously when you're writing a story based off of a card game, you, like you can't follow the mechanics exactly because that's just not how a story works. But the interesting thing about this. Different colors of mana and how they interact to form characters is they create sort of personality archetypes that hypothetically a character could change their color if they change you know the way they are that would in effect change the way they do magic. Oh, see now
1: I kind of want to get into the card game and I'm like no I already buy too many comic books I can't do that I can't afford it.
3: <laughs> yeah that's uh that's the trick isn't it you really gotta gotta ration out what you're gonna do. My buddy was trying to get me back into magic for years and years at a time I was like no, I work I work at a grocery store nope. I, I make minimum wage I can't afford this. <laughs>
0: Like, <laughs> shh same 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 a, a nerdy buddy of mine has always been like get into this thing with me and I'm like you can see your six figure salary your cell phone yeah. right now because I do not have the money to get into archery <laughs> and then the next week get into magic the gathering again what kind of <laughs> nonsense is this and so I, I just can't even imagine anyway that's just a, <laughs> that's a separate tangent but no absolutely I really appreciate your exploration and explanation of how the mechanics of the game actually impact not just the setup of the story, but Mm -hmm. the characters and the ongoing narrative, you know, because when you think about product tie-ins, I mean, my mind goes from every... uh Larry Hama on G.I. Joe to, you know, like, the... And I I mean this with love because I loved this stuff. It was the stuff that I bought when I first got into comics. But, like, Greg Pak in, like, 2004 to 2008 was made to write every sort of this product tied in with Marvel. So it got a toy. Greg Pak's writing it. And, like, you know, he did the best he could with Megamorphs, the the Marvel characters that weren't Transformers but like, I mean I'm, it's really great to hear that you know there's a lot of I do write Avengers so uh, I was gonna say oh so you get and, and I love those things I just love them so much I can't help it I bought them all I love fondly because it's it such an exploration book. of the pulp on yeah it made me want to buy done. the Funkos and that's the thing <laughs> that's a job well done I guess
1: right <laughs> I I do want to say speaking of jobs just to touch on it because it does kind of relate to what you have done in your past jobs at least one of them to me and Nico and our past jobs well Nico's current job so I was I used I used Walt. to be a teacher I was a teacher for four years oh, okay. and Nico's cool. a teacher now and when I did a deep google dive on you because I wanted to you know no thanks for the interview um sure, sure. <laughs> I, I see that you were you you were a teacher before as well before like you started with Marvel yep. so that seems pretty awesome
3: yeah I um I just I did a lot of uh, ESL teaching in Asia when I finished university the first time so I was in Korea for about two and a half years uh after which uh kind of farted around and eventually went Back to school in 2010 to uh, be a teacher. So I did my two years there and then I tried to get work teaching and, you know, was here and there just in China for a year. And then I was uh, most recently working at um, a Muslim school here in Halifax for about three years, four years. But uh, it was just, just I'm like, last. it was
1: three years and nine months. I
3: looked it up. <laughs> okay. Oh, so I, I, I see you're on my LinkedIn. Right. <laughs> um But yeah, you know, uh, last, not last uh, fall, but the fall before, basically Marvel worked out to the point. Where I couldn't do both, so uh, I eventually just tapped out of teaching and uh, was again writing comics full time. I mean, that's
0: the dream. Yeah, as a yeah as a as an indie comic creator and current teacher, I am very much like yeah. This guy just said he lived the dream. All <laughs> I got to do is got to become a Canadian. I mean, I'll be and honest, got it. it. does make life a lot easier. But you don't worry about your health oh oh shots fired i yeah. love it
1: okay it's true <laughs> uh, going back to comics, since we were talking about comic book careers um I, this is a question i ask every interview that i'm a part of it's a basic question but i love to ask it uh if you could write any character in marvel that you haven't yet either like a solo or just in the in the story who would it be and why
3: haven't yet. That's a tough one. Yeah, it's like my, my answer answer. That is usually like Alpha Flight because I love Alpha Flight, but they cannot sell a book save lives. Uh, exactly.
0: but, I, but, I I yeah. buy them, but yeah, I understand. I, I buy it for Snowbird. <laughs> yeah. It's like Alpha Flight and Dazzler, and you just sit there, and they're just like, "Hey, everybody yeah, loves exactly. But that said, I did right
3: I did get to write Alpha Flight in the latest uh, thing, timeout. So I couldn't. Uh, can't say that. I um, it's hard to say. I've
0: got. Uh, I'm trying to think
3: of my like you know, pocket pitches and stuff. Always have uh, have. <laughs>
0: ready to go oh my god yep nope i have that google yep. note. i have that google notes file <laughs> Yeah, i mean i'm yep always ready and i practiced the 30 second version of it right before <laughs> yeah, like i remember totally yeah. like i would i would basically make up pitches just as a mental
3: exercise like i was thinking i still got a Teen titan in 2008 or something made cool. up when i was working
0: oh so it. you can probably do yeah. that right now really <laughs> well,
3: yeah exactly it's just i remember a certain point in time everyone was really shitting Teen titans i was like this sounds like a good mental exercise for me to figure out how i can make Teen titans book but uh you know what i'll say dazzler um uh, i was uh I'm a, I really like Dazzler. Um, we're, I was putting together a Dazzler pitch at one point that never really went anywhere. But uh, yeah, I think she, I think she's a great character. I think she uh, could really use some time in the sun. Yes. Also, actually, also Mockingbird. I always wanted to write a Mockingbird book, do a real like spy story. Oh, oh my God, yeah <laughs> Mockingbird <laughs> me up and then Mockingbird me <laughs> down.
1: Really great Mockingbird story.
3: Like I love uh super spy shit from uh, like the old Nick Fury stuff when he was in Strange Tales or
0: uh, Master. Oh of- man, that's to oh, uh artist edition. Is the most yeah, gorgeous thing that's ever happened stuff.
3: to anyone. Going into like master, kung, master kung fu, but, you know, Doug Munch and uh, Paul Gillesi, like doing that super spy stuff is so good. So it's it's always something I really enjoy. You know, it's kind of what we got into in Taskmaster. I think uh I think Mockingbird be, would be real ripe for that.
1: Yeah, I think they would be. The money's no. on the table for you to write a five issue Mockingbird story. Yeah. Come on, wow. Marvel, just do it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now we have a game we love to play here on X's for podcast with interviewees, and it's it's my favorite game uh, because it's so telling. Okay, but. <laughs> so, uh, we, you know, it's, it's a pretty easy game If you're not an X-Men guy We can make it General Marvel It's no big deal But here is always my go-to If you could have any two X-Men Go into a vault And not come out for 10 years For any reason Because you think they're overexposed Or you think the characters need a rest Or you could see them coming back in some new way What two X-Men would you temporarily retire? Right, sure. It's not, it's, it's no shade It's not like we hate these X-Men Or anything It's just like, you know Who do you think could use that sort of transformation? Ah, that's a
3: good question question so so take so take take because i no, no, if <laughs> you need so help so take take two off the table for a period of time
0: just to give them a chance for, for that sort of character rehab that uh everybody sure, donna troy sure. deserves you know what i mean
3: i mean i feel like the the easy answer here is wolverine just like you know what what does the x world look like without wolverine again but like for an extended period of time logan logan wolverine not laura wolverine more laura like. <laughs> um, yeah, just more Laura. Other than that, because I mean, most a lot of these guys have been dead for periods of time. Like Cyclops, is not table for a while, just came back.
4: But you know who hasn't been
0: dead often enough? Beast. <laughs> and let me tell you why. Beast is kind of a danger to everyone, mostly children, and their gene sequences. So I think if somebody was like, mm, let's bring back that really fun, sexy Hank, like you know, from the seventies and eighties, maybe a, a little champ- bit more or, feminist more a and type. a little bit less pausey. Yeah, a champion tank, a wonder man, yeah, kind yeah, of Hank, sure. you know what I mean? But yeah, I think, I think, or <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I would is, take but Beast. I'm, I have a tough time with that one, so
3: I'm generally more interested in who I think should be put forward, rather than who I think should be taken off forward. Oh, oh okay.
0: that's the second question. Who would you want to see popped up in a uh, big, well, big again, way?
3: Sort of a uh, board of thing I was working on for Dazzler. I, I really wanted to see uh, Dupe and Ugly John do like a buddy comedy thing.
0: <laughs> so I am famously psychotically obsessed with Dupe. It is actually a running joke joke that people have, have have occasionally thought that maybe my dupe collection is a little extreme so I just you're my I mean like you were you're one of my favorite writers to start but like I, I can't just like directly pay <laughs> you now is it's just that, like I don't want to do this I love
3: ecstatics and X force you know the northern and all X Force, and I just I can't get the idea out of my head that with all these mutants coming back ugly John could be back And ugly John is just like there's something about him I, I w- I'd love to see him in Chris Koa because he's got no powers except for having three faces uh, he's just constantly clueless he's basically a useless mutant. Like, how does a guy like that live in Capella? He's like, he's like Beak. If Beak
0: was even worse, my my precious Beak. (laughs)
3: <laughs> I def-
1: I I know Nico's probably like freaking out silently because he loves ecstatics. That's literally his favorite.
0: <laughs> it is. It's quite literally my favorite. Yeah. I think Dead Girl should now, in the age of Krakoa, be the most powerful mutant in the entire universe. I think. I mm-hmm. there's so much death energy on Earth. I don't see how she isn't so powerful. Yeah, I'm like Dead Girl all the back. way. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a pretty interesting, exciting time, and I really love to hear that you would want to see not just Dupe because I love Dupe, but you know, Dazzler. It's one of the things that I've loved the most about coming to understand you as a writer is you really do put the female experience first. It doesn't feel like a man writing about women. It feels like an exploration of female and feminist themes in comics. And that's been something that's been really exciting to read, especially because Black Cat has ventured into some unfortunate territory under more than one writer. And so I know that if you picked up Dazzler, you know, she would be pretty safe. You know, Mockingbird as well, another character who has seen less than respect. Especially in some anti-feminist ways. So those would be characters that I would well, love I to I'm see glad, pick up uh, and run.
3: Glad that's something that kind of gets across in, in the work. You know, it's always, it's always something that's tricky where you're writing outside of your lane, uh, writing characters with experiences and identities that are, are not your own and things you're not familiar with. And, you know, we, we probably have slipped up uh, at more than one point in the past uh, with Black Cat, but, you know, we're always trying our best and we're always trying to be honest with characters and who they are and provide them with, with agency as characters. So. That's just kind of, kind of where we're coming at from
1: that. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I mean, you know, no one's perfect. We can all learn things. But as long as everyone, as long as you as an individual are continuing to try to learn because you understand no one's perfect, then that's all you can do. And that's yeah. what you should have.
3: Yeah. I mean, and that's that's what we're trying to get across. We're not, we're not out there with our few shirts to say this is what feminist looks like. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Patting yourselves on the back for ally flags or some shit like that. but. Uh, just you know, we're just trying to do our best and I'm glad that that seems to be landing.
0: I've been a good ally, what <laughs> the Texan <laughs> class do for me today? Um,
2: Is there a dream character for you that you would love to see Felicia interact with?
0: That's, that's kind of hard to say because we've really
3: had a pretty, you know, Nick's been really good uh, as the editor of the book to make sure that we can have access to the characters we need to have access to um, I was trying to think of, like, I do about a dream character but I've, I've kept for a while, the, well the original original angle for the Wolverine-Black Hat crossover was going to be Sabretooth is going to be involved, and uh, I was really looking forward to that, because Sabretooth is just such a piece of shit. Such a piece and, like, he's, of. He's a guy yeah. that she would know because you know he's he's got his fingers in all kinds of criminal pies all over the world. You know for so many years. And I thought it would be really fun to see what Felicia thought about this character Sabretooth. You know they both cat Um and he's just he's so much more brutal and horrible than anybody else she's encountered. Um, then then he got chucked in the memory hole in, in Krakoa. And I was like, well shit, there goes that one. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I would lo- I would love to see Felicia and Sabretooth uh, tangle at some point in the future. I, that'd be a lot
2: of fun. I also think that, that could be a lot of fun Sabreto is a very interesting character to me and that I've seen him in his his, his orido- or original iteration of kind of being like this badass cool like pirate and then, yeah. and then seeing yeah, him it's now it's, it's so days, yeah. hysterical to me I think his rivalry at, with Wolverine is really something to, to read about, because it's always just uh, a giant contest who can hiss more, which is oh, yeah. very fun to read. But um, talking about Wolverine, getting to use him as Patch, and then writing one of the issues for Wolverine, Black, White, and Blood, what is it like, and we talk about switching gears a lot, what is it like switching gears from using Wolverine in a very, in my opinion, very comical role, because I think the name Patch is A, hysterical, B, that he thinks it's a good disguise, wearing one eye patch. Oh.
3: Um, what is it like? And also, that Felicia was the only person in the world who didn't know that.
2: <laughs> That's also. <awesome.
0: laughs> <laughs> it's that Buffy yeah, moment. Just Did just everybody like, know Button the Slayer's a
3: robot? Seriously, you're Mr. Patch. <laughs> no one could. No one could have told me this as I was looking for you all over town. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what is it like? Between switching those gears of writing Wolverine in a co- more comical role of patch and being able to bounce off Felicia versus writing him in what was more of a nitty-gritty serious kind of role
3: um it's just honestly it's just a matter of whose head you're in uh, most characters who are guest starring in black hat like they take the back seat you know they're usually the the straight man more or less for the gags because they're not the main character whereas it just it just depends on who's thought who's getting the thought captions you know and mm-hmm. uh, uh, similarly like in that Wolverine story you had magic who was in that uh, that sort of supporting character role and then she got the jokes. Which
2: I it was one of my favorite things to read because I am one of the biggest Ileana fanboys. She's my favorite dark magical girl and <laughs> you make like reading that made me realize I need more Ileana and Wolverine being snippy at one another. Like that is a relationship that they've known each other for so many years but I don't think I've seen it them together so like too often so I would I would personally just love to see them be mean to one another.
3: Yeah, since it's, it's, I think originally I had uh um, Eden Fessy at Gateway, or Face, I don't know how you pronounce it, um, taking Wolverine to Mars. But then, you know, I went to reread the um, uh, Avengers stuff when they went to that site in the first place. And, he, you know, he brought them over. Um, wait, what do they call them? they call called, called Gateway? Manifold. Manifold.
0: Manifold. Manifold. Yeah. I think it may guys Manifold. Wrong. Yeah, we're all super <coughs> obsessed with Manifold on, over in Shield. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, um, hard. You're not yeah, alone. I was
3: like, well, no, he, he already did it. But also, I think it'd be funnier if he went with someone who had no problem that he was going to murder these four people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah she magic definitely doesn't care no, she
3: loves mean, um, yeah she doesn't give a shit about a bunch of, you know four omnicidal beekeepers like yeah whatever just bring back one of their hats <laughs> <laughs>
0: I would eat up a Felicia Iliana oh, yes. crossover. I, mean, I would that eat that up so like. good. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I mean, it would be so bitchy.
0: If We're going to talk
2: about dream crossovers. I have to. It is a very well-known <laughs> fact that I will find a way to put Elsa Bloodstone in a title.
3: <laughs> and oh man, I yeah, my when Black Cat started, that was my year of Ulysses Bloodstone. I got Ulysses Bloodstone into three different comps that year. Oh my god! Any amazing. way to get a bloodstone? That's amazing. In, I, I, I always appreciate that. Wow, yeah. all the bloodstones. I, I would love to do a bloodstones book. Uh, that would be awesome. But uh, I don't. Know, I do not know if the market would support it. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs>
2: got three people here. That's, <laughs> I, got, I would definitely we support it. Sales. <laughs>
1: I know so many people that love Elsa Bloodstone. Like, yes, please.
3: <laughs> but uh, yeah, because I got that, um, Jake Thomas. told me you know a couple years ago to do a story for Bizarre Adventures, which was a uh, that one one shot anthology. It was a callback to like Marvel black and white magazines, like uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu and Savage Savage Tales and stuff like that. And uh, I was like, shit, yeah, I'll, like I loved Savage Tales when I was a kid. Uh, it There's two part uh, Barry Windsor Smith a story, Red Nails. Which is absolutely, it's just incredible. Was, like, shit, yeah, I'll do a Conan. I like, I can't do Conan. <laughs> like, shit, shit. <laughs> All right. So I was like, <laughs> and I started looking through all these like weird sort of side characters to see who was like co- who was close enough to be Conan that I could just do a Conan story. I was like, Ulysses oh, Bloodstone. Shit, yeah, here we go. <laughs> and nice. then, from, then, then from that, I got kind of obsessed with him. So uh, I yeah, he it. appeared in um, Strange Adventures or Bizarre Adventures. He appeared in the backup for Black Hat number one, 2019, uh, when the Black Fox tricked him into fighting Dracula. Yeah. And uh, he was also in the story.
1: I remember reading that. Yeah, I remember that happening. Uh, is, I would. Not bad We for need that guy. To, no, <laughs> not that bad at all. When and if it happens in the future, I'll be overjoyed to hear that you're on an expo in writing dazzler or magic or whatever.
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> for dazzler flight? Are you be, kidding? He's
3: a good singer on Alpha flight. Is there one?
0: I bet Shaman oh, yeah. can really uh, rip I mean, it on I some Alpha
3: Does like Gordon Lightfoot? He's
0: oh, that's right. Oh, uh, little, actually, no, that's little more Puck's territory. Territory. Yeah. Oh, but now I'm imagining Puck <laughs> drunk, <laughs> trying to get through. The yeah, lamp is burning I mean, low, and he's just Flight.
1: Story.
3: Well, I I mean, they got Gamma Flight coming out, so I, I think it's yeah. an Alpha Flight book. I mean, I was thinking about the original members of Alpha Flight, and they're kind of scattered hither and yon. You know, North Star and Roar and X Factor, Huck and Sasquatch. Well, Sasquatch is dead, but Huck's on uh, Gamma Flight. Uh, Mac is on Janus or that super spy organization that came out of Ravencroft. So, yeah.
0: I mean, and I don't mean any disrespect to Mac, but in my heart, Mac will always <laughs> I mean, be dead
3: long lived. I, I understand that. The thing I like about Mac is that he's just, he's, he shouldn't be a superhero. He's terrible at it. Like he keeps dying, but he's like awful. He just keeps doing. He's it. so There's bad at about
0: it. that that I find uh, that I have a lot of affection for. Kind of like Captain Britain. Brian is really good at being the fine, I'll save the day kind yeah, of hero. Yeah, exactly, which is why he's one of my favorites. Whereas Max, like, oh, yeah. I'll save
3: the day. I may not actually save the day. Also, I might die, but I'm still going to you know suit up and get out there. <laughs> I'm going <gonna accidentally> <laughs> to
0: accidentally hit Moira McTigard in the head. That um, I did it yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah knocked her what, into the lake no big deal that's how I was like we need Banshee Alpha go Flight, save your like,
1: we have the union which did like you know British culture and like the history a little bit we need Alpha Flight to get more like Canadian history to the comic readers and all of that like the, the culture of Canada
3: well I look forward to it being uh, cancelled at issue 5 before issue 1 comes out
0: <laughs> <laughs> I will buy them though you know they have to pad <laughs> the original Alpha Flight number 1 John writing and drawing 40 pages a month and you're just like John Byrne you must do an inordinate amount of something to be able, able to not sleep
3: this much
1: <laughs> <laughs> me and my fiance uh, Chongo were discussing this in the car and we we're like what is happening with Black Cat that we want to ask you if you can't answer and we were like oh shit like she's getting into a an event and I'm super excited about it so mm-hmm. if there's anything you can tease like the smallest thing about Infinite Destinies that's coming up with Black Cat what could you tease? so Infinite
3: Destinies is, you know, an annuals event where we're getting into these Infinity Stone people. Like the Infinity Stones went out there, they gained consciousness, they started bombing. We saw that happen with Star, right? Uh, we saw that happen with uh, Hector Batista, as over overtime. Uh, but there's still four more Infinity Gems out there. So in these annuals, like they're, they function just as annuals. So if you're not interested in this, you're still getting an annual with your favorite characters, with, you know, with great creators or whatever. But some of them are going to be They're all featuring uh, established characters, working with new characters. And some of these new characters are going to be people who lost. The infinity stuff. so some of them will have stone hosts some will not uh and then basically the follow that follow that is going to spin into black Cat number uh yeah, number, black Cat number eight that's when uh, the infinity score starts where police is getting mixed up with in infinity bullshit so
1: perfect
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another segment here at X's for Podcast. I'm still Nico. And in this next segment, this is like a true treat. Excalibur number 20 by Teeny Howard was an incredible revelation in showing us that the main women of the X universe aren't the only ones who have been shortchanged and disrespected by the process. In fact, this issue gave a number of readers a reason to consider Malice, a character that they had always sort of written off as a background monster, and consider them in new ways. This issue was a long time coming for me as a reader of Excalibur. I had been really excited about the book moving forward after Ten of Swords, because as much as I enjoyed enormous elements of Ten of Swords, it's always tricky when a book is dealing with the previous crossover for an extended period of time. And I feel Josh, Arturo, Drew, and Evelyn really encompassed what is so important about this book and what makes this book so powerful month after month. This is one of those segments that was such a pleasure to edit. I kept getting lost in listening because the communication between this team is so tremendous. We hope you guys enjoy it as much as we enjoyed making it. Now, if you like what you hear, you'll probably like what you see. So go ahead and give us a subscribe over on YouTube, Patreon, and Twitter. Don't forget to drop a review over on Apple Podcasts and let the whole world know that you think we're awesome. And guys, until next time, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Enjoy this last segment, and we'll see you.
4: Welcome back to another episode of X is for podcast. This week, we are going to be talking about the phenomenal Excalibur number 20 written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by friend of the show, VCs Ariana Mar. Malice is loose on the island, and while the old white men want to throw her in the hole, a group of women who understand her pain come together for an amazing story about finding the humanity in someone who is lashing out at you and creating second chances through forgiveness. Goodness. With me today is Evelyn. Evelyn, say hi and tell us where we can find you.
5: Hey, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Comic underscore Canary. We also have the amazing Drew.
6: Hey, I'm Drew, and you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Drucifer3. That's at D-R-E-W-S-I-P-H-E-R 3. And
7: we have Arturo. Hey guys, I'm Arturo. You can find me at Mr. Box on Twitter and Instagram.
4: And I'm Josh Wheel, when I'm not pouting in my psychic panic room you can find me on twitter at asleep at the wheel w-e-i-l and at asleep at the wheel.com and for the next two years as the progressive democrat running for u.s senate in the state of florida you can find me at joshwheel.org or wheel the number four u.s senate across social media so i as soon as i read this issue last wednesday i was on twitter and social and i made the bold statement that this is my favorite issue post hoxpox of any of the x books for me this is right up there at that crucible resurrection of Kate level um, I think it's hands down the best issue of Excalibur we've seen uh, single issue story wise and I thought Teeny Howard just did an amazing job of humanizing a character that no previous male writer ever thought of conveying as like a real character with emotional stakes and agency um, you know I was kind of doing a mental checklist on all of the many times I've read malice and I don't think a female writer has ever actually gotten a hold of her before I think I could be wrong I think Teeny might be the first one and what she did here um, was phenomenal and giving us a group of female characters women who come together and are able to empathize with Malice and through that empathy find the patience to help her past her anger and across to the other side was just it was beautiful storytelling um, and so I would be remiss if I started this episode any other way Evelyn please go off
5: <laughs> I will agree this might be my favorite Excalibur and I also don't recall Any other woman writing for Malice So, but again, I have no idea Um, This was just a Great, great comic It really dealt With just a lot Of very human problems Even though we're dealing with mutants It's still very human issues That they do And it's a very powerful story Of forgiveness and second chances And recognizing that Some people need Mercy and need help rather than just the simple uh, punishing them and like sending them off to jail like Charles Xavier like man fuck that guy I in in the Dawn of X era like just fuck Charles Xavier and I love how just all these women just go no you're wrong bye and he accepts it which is great but it's just ugh, it just really annoyed me but it like these are a few issues that are very like very close to my own heart as well as other issues that I am, have very strong views About so like the way That this was handled I thought was very Well done it was very Succinct it just It covered so Many different things that I Have been upset about About like Quanon And Betsy that whole bullshit Thing like they address that And it's beautiful it's It's just everything and of course it has Emma Frost and Rogue in it so it Can't be bad and plus Jubilee Like some of my faves the only person and that was missing was Kate
4: <laughs> yeah a lot of people have been shitting on Betsy lately because they believe and I'm not saying they're right or wrong but uh there's an opinion out there that Quanon was harmed more than Betsy by their ordeal I don't necessarily agree with that I I just think that we got more humanizing in progress with Betsy because Quanan was killed off by the legacy virus um you know her only like major appearance after acts of vengeance um but that's 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 purely an opinion um and so people were upset last week and in the previous I'm last month or in the previous issues that Quanon had to come save Betsy. But I think what we saw here is that it's not about having to rescue people you have resentments about. It's about being able to help people regardless of your baggage because you can empathize. Quanon was the person who could empathize with Betsy most. And so because she had that shared experience, she, you know, it's an old AA adage of, you know, like being, you know, being trapped in a hole. And, you know, like the only person who can come help lead you out of the hole is someone who has been trapped in the hole themselves before um, which is oddly uh, also you know applicable to you know, the whole Charles Xavier wanted to throw malice in a hole um, and bravo for Teeny pointing out you know what had been the Twitter consensus that uh, through Quan and
7: that that sounds exactly like a prison yeah yeah uh, I, yeah, that, that, yeah. that was a really cool uh, examination on like Krakoa and justice and it's funny because we have very few laws on Krakoa but we do have laws and that explains how Victor and ended up in there but if you look malice yes malice did fucked up things and i'm the first to say like malice is a character that i've never really seen as more than just a two-dimensional you know antagonist uh so i'm right there with you guys like i think it's so cool that tinny took this character and gave her a backstory and and made her sympathetic and not an easy character to love either because even when the girls are are helping her she's kind of you know resistant and and rejecting it um and i think that you know that says something like when you're helping people that really need it even when they don't want it you know which i mean might have a little bit of a white woman savior flavor to it but i mean that's that's part and parcel with betsy braddock i'd say i as
4: as someone i want to jump in here real quick because like as someone who's been through recovery and has worked through the steps of like alcoholic anonymous the and then you know later in the program sponsored a number of people even when people are asking for help the amount of hate Patience that is required to help people, you know, work through their own damage and baggage. Like that, that patience is impossible if you hadn't previously had to work through it and just been blessed by God to have given someone with enough patience to have made it through with you. Um, and that's what I saw a lot of here was, you know, that these two women were the heroes in this and able to, you know, be there for malice because they empathized and because they had that shared experience and patience. And, you know, whereas, the men were just douche canoes Um, right and yeah and I don't know Evelyn I I want you to tell me on this because you know just from your perspective I never noticed like Arturo mentioned that you know how two-dimensional malice had really been written before this and I think some of it is because she never she's surely not the only female character that male writers you know made two-dimensional but I don't think I noticed it because she never really had her own body because she never really had like because there was something missing she was incomplete to such a uh, a physical extent compared to the other characters. And obviously, Teeny picked up on that and was able to craft this beautiful story around it. Had you noticed or felt like we'd been slighted on Malice in the past?
5: So my experience with Malice is pretty limited, but the few times I did encounter her in comics, I felt that it wasn't a very well explained character because the way it came off was more of a kind of Like a entity with Malice no pun intended (laughs) That is Trying to uh, Just take over bodies just for the Heck of it just to cause Mischief and pain um, And problems for other people Not really explaining why They wanted to So it felt kind of disconnected Where it was just like oh it's just This thing doing whatever um, Versus this really Humanizes her and we get some more motivation about it and more understanding and that makes her so much more compelling.
6: My whole thing with this was the mental health aspect of this issue. That's kind of what I related to the most as someone who's, you know, dealt with mental health issues. Um and it kind of reminded me also of like how we police people with mental health issues, you know, and it's been in the media a lot with like you know, the go-to is to just throw them in jail when really kind of what I've been talking about with my family is almost setting up this kind of mental health, like, police force to deal with mental health issues instead of just throwing them in jail.
4: True, it is literally on my platform. Sick people are not criminals. Yeah, so that was, like, kind of how I, like,
6: literally this, like... This issue has probably has happened in real life to some people.
4: Um, And that's kind of, you know, that's what I took from it. Well, yeah, And and, it... and more props on to Teenie because, you know, we've, we're seeing her here get into problems with incarceration, problems with policing and addressing people with mental health, problems with, you know, women losing their agency, problems, you know, um, dealing with mental health issues, dealing with, you know, forgiveness and, you know, helping people get through their own ordeals. I mean, my life experience has led me to wholeheartedly believe that people are not born fucked up. Other people fuck them up. And everything <laughs> After this issue, whatever happens with malice after this is on her, but you know, she was not able to get to this point without the love and support of people who understood her, even if she was terrible to them, even if she was terrible to them, Um, from the place that she was at, she couldn't get here on her own. And so it it really took all of these amazing women because the men weren't doing shit all of these amazing women to champion for her and help get her there which was just part of this beautiful story for me
5: exactly what i was saying like charles xavier kind of represents this very black and white kind of viewpoint where you did bad you must be punished instead of oh why did you do something bad let's see and try to actually fix the underlying issues and this really resonates with me personally because as a teenager i had ptsd related Anger issues, and I got into some trouble as a teenager. And I basically had the um, option of going to therapy or basically getting expelled. So, that I credit that with like saving my life. I'm a totally different person from being able to go to therapy and work on my anger issues and the underlying issues of those anger issues. And I feel like I'm a much better person because of the therapy. And I've dealt with my PTSD, and it's been just incredible how much that has helped my life and now I mentor other teenagers that have similar underlying issues because I don't want them to have to go through what I went through because I feel like I definitely took like the saying where to get from my thumb to my pinky I had to go around my ass like (laughs) to get to where I am today so that's why that's so personal to me and I share my story because I know other people have similar issues Issues. and that's why I think this issue was so so important because it showed that it's not malice for malice sake it's malice because of other underlying issues that are just worsened because she's not getting help and by getting help she's able to have a chance like that last panel of her looking off into the sunrise like my breath like it took my breath away
7: yeah because it actually feels like it's sinking into her now that she's got this fresh start exactly I don't also
4: like to kind of bring up because then there's just so many ways that i love this issue this also helped remind me and, and give me some more perspective for what's going on over in the pages of x factor where you know having read through the whole peter david run uh, and the subsequent peter david run and all of the things with the Morgan and uh, knowing that okay siren is losing her agency she's being taken over by the Morgan. they're doing these things and polaris who was there through it all you know the the real thing i think that was made explicit in those issues was that no siren took on Teresa, took on the morgan to save uh, lorna in the pages of x factor and so you know lorna had this feeling of you know like this debt or that she owed her friend to be there now for her but there's really more to it because i i wasn't even thinking at the time of all the times that lorna had been taken over by malice all the times that lorna had had lost her agency and had someone doing horrible things through her and the levels that she could also empathize empathize not just knowing that teresa had been there for her in the past when she needed it but being able to empathize with what teresa was going through at the time um, because of her experiences with malice
7: yeah i mean the miracle is that we got through this issue without malice possessing lorna dane (laughs) i mean no she's not even in it but she's like a a magnet for malice no pun intended maybe a little bit you
4: know damn well that leah williams is going to be bringing a sweet little alice mcallister into the pages of X Factor soon. There is no way that is not happening.
7: The thing that I think I enjoyed the most about this issue is that it's really moved us beyond the canon versus Betsy vibe. I love that they're now kind of working together with a common purpose. I love that that Tinny has put, you know, the weirdness and the complexity of their relationship on the table, uh, like as she has said, it's not something to be it's not something to be solved. It's something that that just is, and I feel like now we've kind of moved into um, you know, a new era for both of the characters like I think Kanon is one of the one of the coolest characters to come out of the the Dawn of X time this just kind of furthers her growth as her own character it it just further separates her and Betsy as individual people and I love it. I'm so glad that we're at this point with these two characters.
4: Yeah, she has been great. Uh, I was thinking of that because I really had to kind of had to work through it because she's been in the hands of a number of writers now who have made major contributions to her characters. Her character was very limited and also two dimensional. I think you know, with from the most part, really we saw in the the Conan stories in early X Men Volume Two by Fabian Nicieza and then um, thinking of her in the Rosencanny X-Men even just before Hoxpox. Um, but now we've seen her by Brian Edward Hill, who, you know, for all the flaws of fallen angels, did give us a lot of humanizing, individual perspective for her that was very separate from Betsy. Um, now we've seen her with Zeb Wells in Marauders, who's, you know, really fleshing out kind of the building of her life post this. And we're getting her in the pages of a number of issues of Excalibur now. This is three or four issues in a row where Teeny's really having her you know reconcile with her past and build these relationships with other women you know because we're seeing her really fit in like if this was to become our new Excalibur team like I love Gambit I love Richter but if our Excalibur team was just to become Betsy Conan and Rogue and Jubilee I-, I would 100% be okay with this because like this issue was fantastic and um you know there was so much the fireside scene god mm-hmm. everything with the dresses
5: the dresses That's-
4: the dresses
5: I wanted to talk about the dresses <laughs>
4: Betsy owning clothes that were made for another body, but Quan and not wanting them because they're they're Betsy clothes. And just it was a beautiful way of displaying how the men who took their bodily autonomy left them with wreckage that didn't fit either of them. Exactly. And so so they set it on motherfucking fire.
5: Yes. And they like the whole exchange. They acknowledge that they both went through trauma, even if it's not equal trauma. They both went through trauma that is still very valid to them specifically and that just uh oh, that was some good fucking food
4: <laughs> and, and this is a great scene too to really talk about Marcus Toe's art because the art was beautiful throughout the yes. issue um Arseniega did a phenomenal job with the coloring as we were going through different scenes and through a lot of the mental situations um and the, the psychic lane. but man the facial expressions in the dress scene and the fireside scene were just so much depth on these women's faces for what they were kind of experiencing and learning and sharing uh just I, I love I, I i'm gonna keep saying it i love this issue so much this this was a phenomenal phenomenal piece of content
7: well one thing i was touching on earlier was you know there's very few laws on Krakoa, um and although Sabretooth definitely broke those laws and found his way in the hole i want to just point out that malice did not right? Like, yes, she possessed people. That's, that's literally what she does. Um, But I don't think she broke any mutant laws. So I find that very interesting how, you know, Charles Xavier continues to play fast and loose with with certain rules. I think when it comes to resurrections, when it comes to the whole um they're kind of figuring it out as they go along and I can't wait for that to come back and bite them in the ass. Earlier this week we saw teasers for new books that are coming out. One title that is still uh you know The Trial. Up, but it looks like The Trial and I'm dying to know who it is going to be a trial of. I have if if it is a trial I have a, a short list of potential candidates, and Charles Xavier is on that list. So, As I, he should always be. Absolutely, yep. yeah. So I, I'm just, I, I love that we are in this era, that we have so settled into it, that we continue to explore all of these cool, interesting ideas. Um, I love that characters that I would have, at the beginning of Krakoa, said, okay, no, fuck those people. I would have had a short little blacklist of, like, Shadow Kings on there malice would be on there uh Celine would be on there right like there's some people that i would just think are no throw them away krakow is for everyone but not for those guys they're dicks and y'all gotta I, get off my boy Farouk. but brother. i love it i love it I, I i love that 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 this in this era like it's not just the good guys and the bad guys are working together no it's like we're really going to go and talk redemption and 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 explore them and see them as you know before they were mutants they were people or children or innocent and and really explore that and yeah this i you know the crucible is on a whole other level in in my opinion i i, I love that you likened this to that um i think that's high praise but yeah the, this this is an incredible issue and it just speaks to the promise of this whole era in such a beautiful way
6: i think that i think that this issue and crucible are kind of like they're good in different ways I don't really think you can compare you can compare them because like this issue is like an extremely emotional issue which makes it really good Um, but Crucible I think plot wise and that is very good so
4: Crucible was also a major lore Crucible was a red issue yeah that's what Um,
6: I that's what I mean so it's kind of like defining the world that it's like it's weird to compare them because they're they're good for kind of in my opinion like extremely different reasons
7: you know what's one thing that I absolutely Absolutely loved when when Silok and Betsy, when when Kanon and Betsy entered into Malice's uh, psyche that was trapped within the you know the psychic the focused totality of Kanon's power in that little psychic dagger, uh, and they entered into like like a, an old school like music venue. It looked like a concert or like live music. Like
4: it's the Violet Velveteen in Leeds, England.
7: Thank you, the Violet Velveteen. and. It totally reminded me of a club that we would go to in Fort Lauderdale called The Edge and rave till dawn. And I love that. I love that that is that is her, you know, mental happy place.
4: I also love that Betsy has been there because of their British backgrounds, that like they were both innate girls in similar parts of the world and have a little more experience there. Um, and I want to add to, too, because we're talking about them sharing that psychic dagger. Betsy and Conan can pick up each other's psychic blood. Blades. That is... Yes. That is another big like big piece for these two characters and their shared journey here, kind of recognizing that they continue to share something.
7: I am glad that they're not on the same team. I love this, you know, special appearance by type of thing. Like I love to see Kanon appear more and more in Excalibur, but I love that she's not part of the core team.
5: She definitely deserves a break and to do whatever the fuck she feels like for the rest of her life. The,
7: yeah, I the like other thing they, is I like
6: when Honor. they do it, not even just like on this on this book with a whole like every other book just like have characters from other books just like peeping in being like hey i know you guys so let's chill
4: oh yeah shared world this is the best era of shared world comics that i can think of from either of the big two at any point um but no a a staple of x-men comics is the bar issue right the issue every so often kind of in between big arcs or after a major fight or something where you know the team is just kind of like at the bar drinking or dealing with their shit there's been so many of them and so many of them are great and not that this was a bar issue but Conan with all of her shit with the Hellions and being with you know all of the stupid boys on that team and dealing with sinister stuff and what she has to do there like getting to you know have a break with the other female characters getting to you know kind of have an issue off of that where she can be more human in a sense not just like elite ninja warrior uh, matriarch of the team you know mother of wild child whatever Um, but like this was good like there was so much good for her in her character as well here like she needed the night around the fire in you know jeans and a tank top with Rogue Jubilee and Betsy.
7: One thing I want to just uh, give a shout out to Mr. Sinister for being the cattiest bitch in the quiet council. I love so much when um, when Captain Betsy Braddock is before the council and they're expressing their you know their their joy that she's back and returned from other world and, uh, and Sinister just like pulls out the burn book to let Betsy know that Iska's on the island. He can't wait for them to meet up at the tiki bar and he just jabs her with how many girls hate Betsy brock He's just <laughs> such a bitch. I love Sinister with all my heart.
4: <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, I'm looking back at the, that page again and you know, there was a lot here because quiet council scenes always give us so many major characters but uh, you know, the glimpse at Saturnine, 9, the uh, Sebastian Shaw trying to kind of come back into his own but still, you know, in his wheelchair and with his eye patch
7: is, um, is this the first time that we've seen Sebastian speak since I think so they beat the crap out of him I want to say I,
5: I didn't even realize he could speak
7: yeah I thought he couldn't speak either well, he was, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming he's that. recovering
4: I, so. I was a little surprised by it but I just went with it yeah yeah.
6: yeah, yeah he, well like, is, he, is he even standing behind Kate in that no no, no, no he's
7: no, definitely no. The, the, you don't in see the it first one it looks like it but in the panel sitting. next to it he's clearly sitting
6: yeah
4: and they have not filled those seats yet there's only two seats on the, um, yep. on the Xavier Magneto side there's yeah there like every one of these books gives us so much in these little things i'm still not a fan of the other world death like to me if they wanted to make mutants die this still just doesn't make sense because like if you have a download of their consciousness in cerebro and you make them a new body like why can't you just keep making millions of new bodies with downloaded consciousness like that one still just doesn't make sense to me but i'm rolling with it um
6: that's kind of one thing that's kind of one thing i do if i don't really understand something i just say yes and then keep going
7: it's funny that that's like that you know quote unquote remains the greatest threats to mutants it's like well just don't go to other world guys <laughs> like it's i don't know how much of a threat it is but okay
4: how about to one of my favorite panels because we've talked about the art by marcus Towen here um but looking more closely at it so one of my favorite panels is emma pouting in her panic room oh and- i love it <laughs> Not I just it. Emma pouting in her panic room, Dresses but if the you white look queen. closely, if you look closely, she's wearing a white pants suit. Like she's wearing, she's in her uh, Elizabeth Warren attire for the Quiet Council. <laughs> but in her mental panic room, she is in her classic, like, Fredericks of Hollywood Panties. Um, white queen outfit. Yes, because that is that is her mental wardrobe when she, on default.
7: I love yeah. that so much. It's yeah, that, that did not go unnoticed for sure. And it looked like she was, like, inside of a diamond yeah of course
4: yeah. her panic room is inside of a diamond i actually i i want to say that 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 i've seen that before that that's not the first time we've got
7: any any thoughts on pete wisdom popping in via text
4: oh she needs to block his number yeah left on red <laughs> <laughs> yeah i wish that's the one thing this data page was missing but a little symbol at the bottom that just said red like the little thing next to his thing showing that they were red and she was ignoring him
7: yeah that would have been a good touch yeah timmy a couple of weeks ago tweeted something like hey guys i'm not going to be on as much and kind of was saying like i i she said something like i want to focus more on writing the stories i want to write you know and it was and i think everybody can kind of relate to sometimes you know social media is great but sometimes you gotta like take a step back from it um sometimes all the chatter isn't you know productive to say the least um and i don't know i I, i'm sure that doesn't line up exactly with this book but if this book is an illustration of the kinds of stories that she can tell at her best like then take away her phone and give me this tinny all day long because this is like this is just the best that that i've seen her write I,
4: i would say that from what i've heard her talk about especially in the early launch of this
7: this is one of the
4: things that she was most this was one of her big ideas going into this book because she loves betsy braddock Uh, that is one of her major characters that she loves and why she chose it to be the the main character of this book but um you know we know working with the magic and tarot stuff and mutant magic was one of her big things but this also getting to a point of exploring betsy and healing betsy's past trauma and kind of moving forward from all the things that had been done to her in a positive way like i i have to believe that this was this is something that she had been trying to get to and it, it just took some navigating because you know, big shared world comics are it's other people's toys and other people's sandbox so uh, but she got there so naturally and beautifully and in the best possible. I was saying after this when people started to about who should take over Avengers next I would love to see Teenie Howard on the Avengers book I do not want her leaving the X office though like that's the problem but I think she would absolutely kill uh Avengers.
7: Oh, at for some sure. Point. That's a that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, I don't want Tinny going anywhere. She's really really grown on me. Excalibur was a little bit wobbly in the beginning. I really started warming up to it a lot more with uh with Ex of Swords. Uh, post X of Swords, it's been a little spotty for me. And then all of a sudden, bam! This 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 issue hit and it just knocked me out of the knocked me out of my socks. Well,
6: we were talking in the green room about kind of. Um, this like this Excalibur is like a little series. Um and like re- going back and rereading it full, like after knowing the events of um, X of Swords, um, which I kind of plan on doing soon, I think.
4: Yeah, I found during my first read through during Dawn of X, Excalibur was not high on my list. Um, It felt very slow and I wasn't sure what it was doing. Um, Going back and rereading it all at the start of X of Swords, rereading it just straight through, just just Excalibur, not bouncing title to title to title to title in kind of the release order. Um, it was incredibly well-crafted. I, I had a much greater respect and enjoyment of it the second time reading it like that, and I wholeheartedly believe that going back and reading these last five issues in trade, the post-ex of swords stuff, there was a lot of kind of vignette individual-style stories. You know, we got the Betsy in another realm, we got, you know, Excalibur cleaning up a mess here, we got, you know, the the Quan going after Betsy, the malice is Betsy thing, like, we got all these little pieces, and then they all kind of dovetailed into this issue. Um, and I would have to say that they will probably also I feel like I will have the same experience going back if I was to reread these all in kind of trade form at once, uh, that it'll be more cohesive because I think Teeny's writing, you know, there's some other writers that do this. Hickman is one um, that puts so much detail in some of his books. Um, uh, Kieran Gillen and his indie work. Kieran Gillen and Jonathan Hickman's indie comics. Like every time you read a new issue, you have to go back and read like the last three issues as well, because there are so many fine details and everything like it is crafted so meticulously that like you can't just be trying to remember what you read a month ago um, and, and there's a level of that to Tini's to Excalibur that you know there, there's too many little things that aren't necessarily important when you're reading them in February but you know they're really important for April
7: <laughs> yeah I love I love authors that write like that I, lo- I love when it's so layered and and every little detail is there for a reason I do think sometimes tinny gets lost in the weeds sometimes like or or rather there are things there are little things that tinny puts down that don't get picked back up um but when they do it's it's a nice thing to watch